This week, we talk about what the new stimulus bill will mean for entrepreneurs, and we discuss some learnings from an ongoing enterprise sales project. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. All right, what's going on this week, Rick? Well, Biden, I think hours ago, I'm not sure exactly the time, signed a $1.9 trillion relief bill called the American Rescue Plan. And it's got all sorts of, uh, of goodies in it. Yeah. So I, I'm the type of person who I see the Twitter headline and I'm like, oh, cool. That's a big number. And then I keep scrolling. Um, it sounds like you have some thought, like you actually looked into what this is going to mean. Yeah. And I, I would say that it, it has a lot in it. So um, by no means am I going to be able to speak to the entire $1.9 trillion bill. But the reason I'm interested in it is that it has some significant expansions of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Um, in the you know, in the bill. So with regard to health insurance, and I think this is, I bring it up on the podcast, not just because I'm interested in it for Leg Up Health, but I also think that what's in the bill and what Leg Up Health does is actually pretty applicable to people who work on their own businesses, especially early stage founders who have to figure out health insurance when they go full-time on their business. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, one of the big concepts that people don't understand about the Affordable Care Act are premium tax credits. And these are the things that if you go buy health insurance on the uh, marketplace in your state, and this is US only, so sorry, people who are listening outside the US, um, but each state has this marketplace. If you go buy health insurance through it, um, prior to the American Rescue Act, but after the Affordable Care Act, you were eligible based on income for these things called premium tax credits. And what they basically did was they capped the most you would have to pay for health insurance at a percentage of your income. Um, But the big problem was, um, and has been the problem for the past 10 years, is that if you make um, that cap uh, stops at 400% of the federal poverty line, which is variable based on your household size. For a single person, it's about 50K. For a family of four, it's uh, about $105,000. So if if you're a family of four and you make $106,000, you are what's called falling off the cliff of eligibility for these premium tax credits. If you make 104K, you're eligible. And I mean, the the differences here could be $18,000, $15,000 a year in terms of what you have to pay. Uh, That's how much these premium tax credits are worth. (laughs) <laughs> and what this bill does, I mean, this is the biggest part of the bill for Leg Up Health and for entrepreneurs, is it removes that cliff um, for 2021 and 2022. Mm-hmm. So what, 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 it basically, what basically is happening is anyone who goes to the marketplace will not be required to pay more than 8.5% of their income. Um, and that's huge. So that means like if you're a, if you're an older couple with a family and your premiums are super high because your age, um, you could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and now actually get benefit from this premium tax credit. So there's no cliff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of people that I talk to on a relative on a relative basis who chose not to buy health insurance because they were right at that at that cliff. Now I can call them up and say, hey, you know, you are now eligible for those subsidies and you didn't buy health insurance because it was going to cost you $20,000 a year. Now it's only going to cost you $5,000. You know, would you like to revisit this? Hmm. 
And this is only if they buy an individual policy through the marketplace? Correct. Premium tax credits only apply, one, if you buy your own health insurance, and two, if you buy that health insurance through the marketplace in your state. Very cool. Yeah. And it's retroactive for all of 2021 um, and then for 2022. And I feel like this is one of those things where I would be surprised if there isn't another bill soon uh, to extend this into like forever. Yeah. I mean, it it certainly seems weird to have it just hard to drop. I mean, like it'd be one thing if it was like after this point, maybe the protections start to gradually fade away or something. But any policy where it's like you lose money by making an extra dollar of income, that that never makes sense. Never makes sense. So so one I kind of muddied two changes together. One change is removing that cliff. And the second is reducing the the percentage of income um, cap from it was like nine point something, nine point five, and it's down to nine point. It's they're removing they're moving it down to eight point five percent. Do you so, think that? Oh yeah, sorry. Good. So so the the point there is that more people are eligible for subsidies, and everyone who's currently receiving subsidies is going to receive more yeah, subsidies. That's very cool. Do you think this is like Democrats trying to back their way into something like Medicare for all? Like they just keep making this better and better and better, and then eventually you're like, oh, healthcare costs fifty dollars a year. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that's if you go back to what you know the Affordable Care Act and some of the pieces behind that. I mean this, all of this is a stepping stone to some form, you know, form of universal. I shouldn't say universal. Um, governments, you know, subsidized coverage. I mean we're already mm-hmm. nine eighty percent of the way there when you look at Medicaid, Tricare, Medicare, and then you know now these marketplace plans. Yeah, that's cool. I think like this won't affect me because I'm on a group plan, but like something I believe very strongly and that you and I both do is like there shouldn't be group health insurance. It's like I would go so far as to say it's immoral. And the more reasons there are to have an individual plan instead of a group plan, the more it undermines people wanting the group. Like I I wish because the only reason we have it is we used to do individual and my employees kept being like, no, I want a group plan. I don't care if it's whatever, but if it's like, well, you're paying twice as much for it. Do you still want that? That's uh, that'd be yeah. pretty cool. So that, that's what's more and more is happening here is that I think is I'm so, you know, part of the reason I started leg up benefits, which I'll talk about in just a second um, was, you know, because employees were coming to me and saying, I don't want my employer plan. Can you talk to my employer and convince mm-hmm. them to give me money to go buy my own health insurance. And I think the, the more attractive the individual market gets, the more and more you're going to see that. And that, yeah. that's great for business. Yeah. A couple of other things in the bill that might you know apply to a listener. If you've recently started your business and you're on COBRA from your previous employer, um, one, I would highly recommend that you go look at the marketplace and see if you're eligible for these subsidies that I just mentioned. Um, but, but even if you're not, uh, through September of this year, the bill is basically covering your COBRA premium at no cost to you. So um, if you are currently paying for COBRA, uh, you no longer should have to pay for that um, uh, Enti- through September. Wow. Wow. That could be, that feels like it could be abused pretty easily. Well, I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. So that's one. Uh, the other thing is if you've received, you know, any unemployment benefits in, in 2021, then you are eligible. They're going to treat you as if you are um, basically eligible for f- zero cost health insurance in the marketplace. So if you like, <laughs> whether you are currently on, uh, on unemployment or you have received unemployment this year, plan to receive unemployment, go get your unemployment and then come go to the marketplace and get your free health insurance coverage. They'll basically give you a premium tax credit equal to enough to cover um, one of the plans. So you get free health health insurance for the year if you received any unemployment benefits. Okay. 
Yep. Wow, these things are stacking up. All yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are the main ones. Uh, the 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 other the other big one that is a little bit more nuanced is if you received a premium tax credit in 2020, um, meaning you're probably worried thinking about that in terms of filing taxes for 2021. The reason you think about that when you file taxes is if you made more money than you estimated, um, which is what the, because because the premium tax credit is advanceable, meaning you receive it before the tax return, um, you you estimate your income. And so that the, the credit that you receive is based on an estimate. When you file your taxes for 2020 and 2021, they reconcile your estimate with your actual income. And in a normal year, what would happen is if you made too much money, you may have to pay out the whole premium tax credit back. Mm-hmm. Or if you didn't make enough, if you made less money, they'd give you the premium tax credit that you should have gotten in the first place. They what they've done is they basically said, listen, if you keep if if you make if you make less than what you said you were going to, we'll give you the money. But if you make more than what you said you you were going to, we're not going to require you to pay it back. So they've suspended. Um, you know, basically clawing back the premium tax credit for the 2020 tax year. Cool. That's big stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so now the problem I have is yeah. how do I communicate this to, you know, a hundred and some users, 40 clients who are all in drastically different situations that may or you know may be impacted by this in nuanced ways. Well, first of all, the opportunity you have yes. is that, I mean, th- yeah. th- this is, there's no problem at all here. Like we're st- like default you, get free you money. don't do anything, it's, right? It's yeah. kind of like, you know, just like come get your money. Well, and I don't think there are a lot of people who A, understand what you just said and B, who are going to actually bother communicating it in simple terms like you just did. I mean, even if all you do is just take an email, like write up an email and send it out to people, I bet they'll be like, well, you know, Rick just paid for himself. Like, uh, obviously, th- like it's worth being here. Uh, I if you really wanted to squeeze it hard, what you could do is be like, if you have me as your agent of record, you just got a really valuable email from me. If you don't, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's terrible timing because I'm trying not to work right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is something I got to put some effort into. And I think you have it to. It's, it's a big... Having said that, I mean, it'll still be a month from now. Like, all this stuff's retroactive. It sounds like... There's, it's not like you have to do this right now or else you miss out on it. Totally. I want to get something out right now that just says, hey, this is what's in it, more to come. Um, yeah. Um, the cool thing, though, is that premium tax credits are, are as long as you bought coverage to the marketplace, they, you know, even if you don't do anything right now, they're going to f- figure it out when you file taxes in 2022 for 2021. Oh, even if you so, don't apply for it. If you don't apply for it. Oh, so that's very cool. Um, so it kind of, you, you don't really have to do anything to get the benefit, but I mean, if you want the money in advance, you want you're the money have, now. Yeah, yeah, you have to go do it. Um, now, what what kind of, the people that are screwed by this, and I'm so glad that I made this policy at the beginning of the year, are the people who chose not to buy through the marketplace, but to go directly to the insurance company. Yeah, that are now eligible. Yeah, that's that's because funny. because they funny, can't. Yeah. They have to switch to a. They they could go. They can go get the same policy, but they actually have to go through the process of reapplying through the marketplace, switching the policy, resetting their deductibles, which probably you know. I Which do is, like, again, though, I like the fact that sending the message, like, because c- my, my impression, correct me if I'm wrong, is a lot of insurance companies try to sell o- outside of the marketplace almost as a way of being like, we don't like being a part of where the, the government is trying to take this. 
because it's it's going to cut into their profits and stuff like that. Is that fair to say? Usually, that's it's not made as more of like a philosophical argument. It's more made to avoid the risk associated with exchanges because the marketplace. I say exchange exchange is synonymous with the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Especially early on, the marketplace, the people who buy through the marketplace are subsidized, lower income, less healthy people, and so mm-hmm. some some insurance companies have made a business decision not to participate. But right. I, we're well beyond, I think, insurance companies boycotting marketplaces. Sure, I guess I just mean if if you look at the health insurance industry in America, it's hard to imagine it's going to get better for them. Like they are in many ways a parasitic middleman that shouldn't exist, and. 50 years from now, they probably won't exist. And probably they, if they're being like profit focused, they should fight against anything that looks like change because in aggregate change will be bad for them. Maybe. I, I'm not, I think that there's a role for private insurers in okay, health but insurance. N- nowhere cl- I mean, it's a third of the US GDP right now, right? Yeah. Like it's not going to be that yep. in, in 50 years, hopefully. I mean, the insurance companies like to have the ability to deny sick people coverage, right? And that's not where we're headed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a smarter way to put that. <laughs> um, so uh, one other, I would say, insight here is that this is actually really good for leg up benefits and really bad for people keep, my former company. Mm. Uh, HRAs as as our uh, are, are concept that a lot of small businesses use. HRA stands for health reimbursement arrangement. They, they A lot of companies are using those to give employees money tax-free to go buy their own health insurance, um, specifically like reimbursing them for their out-of-pocket health insurance premiums. And uh, the, 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 my problem with HRAs and the reason I'm not interested in being a provider of them is that they disqualify employees uh, who otherwise would be eligible from premium tax credits. Hmm. Now, more sense. and more people are eligible for premium tax credits. More and more people are being screwed by HRAs. Overnight, like so. Well, if you're a small, also, if you're a small business that offers, uh, if you're a people keep customer right now, three thousand customers, four thousand customers, the HRA got less valuable for you at the stroke of Biden's pen. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and we've talked before about uh, was it Charlie Munger who uh, you you brought some kind of mental model that was basically like imagine what you think the world's going to be slash what you want the world to be, and then like put yourself in a position to benefit if that happens. And if you want an end to employer-sponsored healthcare, betting on the individual marketplace and betting against HRAs seems like a pretty good place for you to be right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be making, you know, I'm glad I'm not in the HRA business, I'll just put it that way right now. And uh, like, a bit, like the, the stipend concept gets a shot in the arm in this case. These heavily regulated industries are so fascinating because, like, nothing like this, I think, could ever happen to like in the CRM industry. You know, there might be little things like, oh, there's a new spam regulation and we have to collect email addresses differently or something kind of minor like that. But the idea that, like you said, at the stroke of a pen, like potentially billions, trillions of dollars are going to shift from one healthcare vendor to another healthcare vendor, like it's it's really wild and and it really highlights like you're much more into policy and stuff like that than me or almost anyone I know. It's it's the rational thing to do if you're in a regulated industry. You want to be on the winning side of these trades. Totally. You have to think ahead on this stuff. If you get stuck in a... I mean, I've been 
stuck in on the wrong side of regulation for most of my career, <laughs> but I'm hoping I'm, it seems like this one is, is heading in the direction that I thought it would. Yeah. Um, that's and cool. so it, it does, you know, it does feel good. Although the, the challenge with, with this particular, um, bill is that these changes are temporary. So it's a right. two year shot in the arm, which creates a lot of uncertainty in the market, mm-hmm. which is good for keeping competition at bay, um, but not so great from a, you know, building a business around it yeah. standpoint. Hmm. Cool. Well, that was all very interesting. Uh, what else has been going on with you? <laughs> uh, so, you know, you, at some point um, while I'm on paternity, there will be an episode about we us planning a leg up benefits session. I had originally planned in that session um, to complete, uh, basically use the having a baby as a forcing function, like a deadline to make some really critical progress and decisions uh, about leg up benefits, um, coding stack and positioning. Um, I pulled back on that big time over the weekend and I'm pushing, I, I want to remove that deadline um, and have get and give leg, leg up benefits a lot more time than I had planned to give it um, mm-hmm. when I return from paternity leave. Um, I'll start working on it while I'm go on paternity leave, but I, I had to, I don't know if you ever, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're trying to force yourself to make a decision? And then all of a sudden you realize this is a, it's a bad decision to make a decision right now. And I'm, I'm going to totally remove the pressure on this and yeah. walk away. Yeah, that, that feels right to me. I mean, I, I just generally, if something feels like you don't want to do it and, and I mean, a lot of times it's because other reasons you're more talking about the decision than the actual work itself. But if at any point I'm like, this really kind of feels torturous to be working on right now, it's a good time to pick your head up and be like, why is that? And maybe that's uh, a warning sign that I shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I, I had that moment and I feel good about it, but I also feel a little bit like I'm doing the wrong thing. You read all these like tweets and, you know, all these people saying like, felt like procrastinating on decisions and, mm. uh, you know, it seems like there's a lot more well, advice on making quick decisions and not procrastinating on decisions and not using excuses not to make decisions and how it's better to act quickly than there are move slow. Which I, d- I mean, I also agree with that, that if let's say the goal is six months from now to know the right answer to a question, probably picking the wrong answer, trying it and realizing it's wrong is a faster or better route to that path than spending all six months deliberating about it and then hoping you made the right decision. I don't think you're doing that though, right? You're just saying you're about to have a kid. It's it's an overwhelming time in life and it's not the time to take on a major project. Yeah. And I frankly, it's a much bigger, I need to, I need to make, be able to like test a few directions out before I plow, you know, put my yeah. head down in one direction. I might challenge you to say, if, if this is that hard of a, if, if it's a really hard decision, I wonder if leg up health would be a, if it, so you've got two things, you've got leg up health, which is individual insurance to, to consumers. And then you've got leg up benefits, which is helping companies with their benefits. Your, but the decision you're, that you're struggling with here isn't anything. It's just about the tech stack, right? It's how do you build the thing? And you could, in theory, use similar a similar tech stack for both. I, I would challenge you maybe to say, would it be better to build the tech for your consumer side because it's a little lower stakes? Like if you mess up the tech, it's it's like easier, it's simpler, and you you wouldn't necessarily have to like start over from scratch. 
Have you thought about that? Yes. Um, the, uh, the, the time it will take me to, to do that is basically, and potentially learn that that's not the right path would eat up pretty much all of my time and not leave me any time to pivot on that. So it's like, I don't love this though. You're, you're saying kind of, you have to make the right decision or else, which is not a great place to be. And I don't think it's true. I'm, I'm You're saying, saying you don't have time to pivot, right? I'm saying I don't have time to complete the project without context switching. It's it's a context switching thing. So um, when I go into leg up benefits, this is going to be like equivalent to when I spent like lots of time on leg up health building it um, with full focus. Yeah. And the amount of time I have to go through that with leg up benefits isn't enough time. And so what'll end up happening is I'm gonna have to pick it up and then put it down and then pick it up and then put it down. I guess what I was, what I was suggesting is you don't do that. You focus on leg up health part, like doing marketing and all the other stuff. But part of that is moving it to a more robust technical platform. You learn the tech, you get the answers. And then you say, I'll do leg up benefits in October. Uh, I see. If that were an option, I would totally do it. Um, the, the technical problem with leg up Benefits is unique to Leg Up Benefits, and Leg Up Health doesn't provide me an avenue to solve that. Okay, gotcha. Um, unfortunately, so. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm fi- I'm feeling fine about it. I'm yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, I'm I'm ready for a kid to come and. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really I, focused I on it's work. Hard to focus on it. Yeah. What <laughs> yeah. are you doing? Like, are you getting work done, or are you just kind of like I'm gonna, you know, rearrange the baby's bedroom or whatever? So I. I'm reading a lot about how to become a parent and what to expect during delivery in the first couple of weeks and months. And that's, I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. It's that, that's, I, I think I'm probably underestimating what the impact of all that uh, on my ability to focus on work right now. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know how quickly you come back from that. Like, I would almost, if I were in your shoes, be like, I know you said, oh, I'll take a couple of weeks off and then I'll get back to work. But, Will you really be like, you won't be a hundred percent. Will you be 50%, 20%? Like I would almost give yourself permission to be like, it might take six months before I'm really back to a point where I feel good about my productivity. Mm, well, six months, just seems like a really long time, but yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, you probably know better than I do, but I, I don't, I think it's somewhere between two weeks and six weeks. It's probably not just two weeks. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I think just sort of knowing myself, I think that I'm, I'm going to want to do something to do my brain. And I, that's why I'm kind of excited about the decision with leg up benefits is I think by letting myself go, listen for six, I'm going to give myself two weeks of doing nothing. And then I'm going to start a six week sprint when I get back after two weeks. And the only focus for that six week sprint is building out leg up benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a good like singular and focus. It's a big project. It's plenty of time. I mean that, six weeks compared to one or two weeks to get the project done. I basically tripled the time, uh, to, to get the the project done and, and, you know, doubled the focus. Um, and, uh, so I think that's a good project to sort of come back to, um, gotcha. When I, when I return and maybe, maybe I'll be wrong on my, maybe (laughs) maybe I'll need, uh, maybe I'll need a couple months to show how clueless I am about this. Um, when my brother, uh, when his first kid was born and he's, he's my co-founder, I was, I just didn't know how kids worked. So I was like, Oh, well, like 
put the kid, you know, in a crib or whatever you put him in next, like next to you. And then you can work all day. And like when the kid cries, give him a bottle. And it's like, okay, that's not quite that simple. <laughs> yeah. Not early on at least. Yeah. <laughs> I get that now. Uh, cool. So on my end, I don't have a huge amount to talk about. I'm actually taking, um, two days off right now. So, you know, we record this on a Thursday. So th- today and then tomorrow, Friday, I'm not working. So doing a little staycation. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. I realized I hadn't taken a day off since like this year yet. Um, I think like it, it's common, right? You're working from home. You're not going anywhere. Or I don't, I'm being very conservative with COVID stuff. So it, it feels weird taking vacation and not doing anything with it. Um, but it's still important to do it. So it's getting close though. To being able to go somewhere. Yeah. Which is worse for me. I mean, it'll be nice once we're on the other side of it, but, uh, if, if there were no vaccines, I would be fine. I'd be like, I could do this forever. No problem. But when it's like, well, maybe in two months I can go to a restaurant. Uh, it's making me a lot less content with (laughs) life as it is now. I I had the exact same experience this week where it was like two days ago or yesterday I scheduled my vaccine. Um, because Utah's, I'm eligible for the Utah thing now. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then the next, like today, Duke just pulled out of the ACC basketball tournament because of a COVID, uh, mm. a COVID um, positive test on the team, and now their season's over. And I was yeah. looking forward to watching them, you know, for the rest of the ACC tournament. I can yeah, I kind of feel like everyone because like it, within the next month or two, everyone in the U.S. will probably have an opportunity to get at least the first shot, and. Uh, I, I feel like people have skipped the part where you wait, though. Like, we're not... Everyone's, like, mentally like it already happened and, like, it hasn't happened yet for most people. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I'm taking... Yeah, t- taking a couple days off, so it's a short week for me. But a couple uh, updates I wanted to give. So, lessannoyingbusiness.com, if people have been listening, that's, like, the content website I launched a couple weeks ago. I feel like this was its first sort of real, like, steady state week because two weeks ago, I just sprinted full week working on it. Um, which obviously is not normal. And then the following week, because I had focused so much on listening business, the former week, the next week, I didn't work on it. I had like, I wrote, you know, 14 blog posts the first week. So I was like, I'm not going to write anything or any of that. So this is the first week where I'm like, I think this is what it's going to look like ongoing. I spent Monday writing two new blog posts um, and just doing a little minor maintenance to the website. My goal is just to kind of well, well, I'll, I was going to talk about this later, but I'll just talk about it now. We we were uh, we talked about Ahrefs, the kind of SEO tool, and you asked, "What am I going to do with it?" One thing that has been useful, it gives you like a website score, and it just tells you, "Here's how we came up with it." And it's like you have, you know, this page here. There's a link that goes to a, a different page that 404s, and it's just so easy to go in and oh, I, I pasted the link in wrong. I'll go fix that, you know. Uh, so there were like thirty little things. It, it literally took me. 30 minutes to go in and fix half of the problems it pointed out. Some of them are harder to fix than others, but now my score is like a 96 out of a hundred instead of an 80 out of a hundred. So I kind of did a little fiddling like that, but um, sorry, I went on a tangent there. Basically, I think I need one day a week to write content yep. and, and tweak the site that makes and I'll, that, I'll be that, really good with but that. But focused, like that's all you're doing. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. Um, actually, I think one day is maybe even a little over generous. Like, I, I don't think it'll take the full day, but yeah, something like that. And I'm feeling really good about it, actually. Like, I could be discouraged because here's what happened. I wrote a post on Monday. 
called like entrepreneur versus CEO, which it's exactly what you and I have talked about before, right? The entrepreneur gets it to zero to 70 and then the CEO gets it from 70 to 100. Uh, it's a long post. I put a lot of effort into writing it. Well, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there's typos and stuff, but I, I tried, uh, posted on Twitter and I got four, four people have seen it so far, I think. Um, which, you know, you hope for more than that, (laughs) but uh, one of them signed up for the newsletter. That's cool. Um, yeah. And then I had another kind of cool experience this week, which was, I, I was doing a phone support for less annoying CRM. A customer called in and um, they were having a problem that wasn't related to less annoying CRM. It was like their Outlook wasn't opening. And so I was like, all right, share your screen with me. Uh, we went in and deleted her like, what are they called? OST file or whatever. And I helped her like download a new one and get it. And we just got her Outlook fixed. It took like 30 minutes. What was the source of that call? It was an inbound call to less annoying CRM's general support. She was like, I'm click she thought it was a CRM problem. She's like, I'm clicking an email address in the CRM, which is supposed to open Outlook. Outlook's not opening. And I looked into it and like immediately was like, well, this isn't our fault. This is Outlook. And she was like, oh, okay, never mind. Like, but and I was like, well, hang on. I, c- I think I can help you get it working. Um, so we just fixed her Outlook. I love doing I've told you before, I just love like less, an- it's less annoying a- business is gonna turn to like a an, a general purpose internet of thing internet tool like it desk yeah well well and so th- this is what happened so she sent me a thank you email like she appreciated i didn't have to do that for her she sent me a thank you email i replied with oh no problem i love helping like small business owners with tech actually i have like a website where i just write about it and i just sent her a link and 10 minutes later she signs up for the newsletter um yeah. And so like I get I'm not going to like manually do 30 minute phone calls to get every newsletter subscriber. Like obviously that's not scalable. But, it, you know, I had two things that you could look at as a waste of time. I wrote this super long blog post and I got four clicks and I had a 30 minute phone call with a customer that wasn't even about less annoying CRM. But I got two newsletter subscribers and I kind of I'm like really energized by this. Like in the very, very early days of something, if I got two this week. Maybe I'll get three next week and maybe I'll get four the next week. And eventually I won't have to spend 30 minutes on every single one of them. And anyway, I, I see a path for this working. I, I, yeah. And I like the way you frame this as this feels like validation. Yeah. Um, and that's what it is. It's people with a problem that your lessknowingbusiness.com is designed to help solve. Yeah. So um, that was cool. Um, I think, um, oh yeah, I also had a conversation with, uh, kind of the marketing person at Lessening Serum. And I think we have a good plan for how we're going to feed people from the newsletter. We have a 20,000 person newsletter for Lessening Serum and I'm estimating here, but something like half of those people are not customers. So what we've decided we're going to do is for the 10,000 that are not customers, the main thing we send them will be less annoying business content. Um, cause like they're small business of all different types. And we're like, well, they're maybe a little interested in less annoying serum, but if they're not using the product, like they're probably not super interested in it. So we're just going to send them whatever I'm writing for general small business stuff and try to get people on my tofu top of funnel newsletter. Um, and then for the people who are customers, CRM related content will be the main thing they see, but like my, my posts will still be kind of in the newsletter, just lower, lower down. So I think we've got a good, like long-term plan for, I will feed. Eunice, 
I'll I'll try to generate tofu leads and feed them to Eunice, and Eunice will get these newsletter subscribers that signed up for Lesson Learning Serum but weren't ready for it, and she'll feed them back to me to nurture them, hopefully, and then feed them back to her when they're ready. So that's kind of the plan we've got. Are you going to? When do you think you're you're going to be ready to do a? Hey, I want to kind of a launch email uh, where it's like, hey, you know, I want to tell you what I'm working on. If you want to support this and follow along here, you know, come, come subscribe. Uh, that's a good question. I, she's already linked to it once, but it was kind of de-emphasized probably next week, I think. I mean, is this going to be like a separate email or included in the newsletter? I, I would say included in the newsletter, but like every newsletter has a theme, like the subject basically. So maybe the subject this week will be, hey, we have a new, we have a new newsletter or a new website. Does that seem... Okay yeah, to you. Th- yeah, I think if if it's clear from the subject line from the, you know, general inbox view that this is an a launch of something something different and new then yeah. yeah okay. I almost don't want to drive too many current less annoying CRM customers there quite yet. Um you're not you're not in your head. Why do you think I'm saying that? Uh, I look at so a good example of this would be people keep in Zane benefits. Um, Zane Benefits was uh, an HRA company. We built PeopleKeep um, with a new type of HRA. Um, a lot of Zane Benefits customers wanted the new PeopleKeep thing, um, and we could have, you know, sw- we had three, th- I think, a couple thousand customers on Zane Benefits and ten customers on PeopleKeep. Rather than offer PeopleKeep to the Zane Benefits customers, we decided, hey, let's go actually try to go get customers for PeopleKeep that are new customers and bu- validate the platform you know, mm-hmm. make sure it's going to retain them, uh, you know, iron out the edges. Um, and then once we've nailed it with new customers, we know that we can transition the old customers. And I kind of look at this the same way where it's like, you don't want to do, you don't want to take the, you don't want to take the training wheels off with existing customers. You want to do it with new customers who have maybe lower expectations and maybe fewer in number. Yeah. I've, uh, I've heard from people who have big audiences, like much bigger than you or I have, that it's really hard to launch a new product like a SaaS or something because your first six months will go well no matter what. Because you have so many fans, they'll sign up. They're not really a fit. They're going to cancel in a year, but they're going to sign up and pay just because they want to support you and stuff like that. And you're not really learning in that mode, which I, I think is kind of what you're saying here. Like, if I, If we've already got true fans... I don't want those people to tell me something's working when it's not. I worry. I worry less about that. Yes, that's a good point. But the bigger, I think, issue is I think you have, you don't know if your product's right yet, and you risk Mm -hmm. alienating a lot of customers you could have and losing them as a result. Well, that's almost the opposite of what I'm saying. Because what I'm saying is I've got I've got ten thousand people paying for less annoying serum and ten thousand people not paying. I don't want to say, obviously, I care more about the people who are paying, but I have so much trust built. We we as a company have so much trust built up with them. They're not going to leave Less Annoying Serum because they're like, I don't like this blog. I mean, I'm, I'm purely looking at it from a Less Annoying business perspective. Yeah. Once, I mean, until you know less the Less Annoying business value proposition, you have, it's unlike, you have a chance to burn the bridge, the Less Annoying business bridge with your less annoying CRM customers. And maybe it's not, a, this isn't a great example of, of, of this particular case, but like there was a lot of risk in switching Zane benefits customers to people keep the people keep yeah. platform. It's a little bit different um, right. in this situation, but 
the, the, the idea applies when you have a brand, a bad branded experience, the next time you interact with that brand, you're a little bit less trustworthy. Um, until you fly, until less than business gets to a certain point, you risk that by introducing it to your existing audience. And maybe you're already there. And because yeah, it's I'm such not... a small, low risk product that it doesn't matter. Right. I think that's a good concept to have in mind. I'm not worried. Like, I, I look at the website. I feel pretty proud of it. Like, there's not a ton of content, but the content that's there, I feel good about. And then your point yeah. is the, probably the one that applies here, which is you know what you said, which is you know it could obscure your validation. Yeah. Well. Okay. So there's two there's two potential goals here. Like, if, if a current less annoying serum customer signs up for the newsletter, what can I? Let's just I'm going to be totally greedy here. Like, forget providing value to other people. What can I get out of it? It's just that they could share it. Yeah. I think that's pretty much the only value for me, right? Yeah. Share it. Um, yeah. I mean, and provide some some form of validation. You know, just just qualified validation. Yeah. But the the cohort of people who are not current customers, they could are. I would imagine roughly as likely to share it if they sign up for the newsletter in the first place. But also then it's like they might go sign up for Less Annoying Serum, which is one Less Annoying Serum customer is worth a lot of not like audience members that don't become a customer. You ultimately want to figure out if you can get new eyeballs on the Less Annoying brand. Yeah. Um, Transitioning existing customers over at this point doesn't really help you validate whether you can do that or not. Unless you, you find that like when someone signs up, the sheer ability, the virus, the virality is like out of control. Yeah, which there's no way it will be. One thing I like about the model I've got here is so it's a website, but I'm going to do I've got one course right now, right? How to like build your small business website. I can do another launch email every time there's a new course. So I don't think this is a one time launch, really. Yep. Um, cool. So that's probably enough about listening business. Um, Another quick update. Um, unfortunately, last yesterday I got some bad news, which is one of our developers is uh, leaving the company. No. Um, yeah, that sucks. It's under good. Everyone who's ever left, it's been under good circumstances. Like they love the the company and everyone's friends, but you know, life circumstances make it so it's the right decision for them to leave. So, but it does. We were kind of hitting a, a stride with product development, and this is definitely going to hit. Take take a hit on that product velocity. Is it a controllable loss or an uncontrollable loss? I would call it uncontrollable. I I don't want to say specifics here, just out of respect for their course, privacy. But um, I I think it's I think probably it could have been extended. I I could have probably fought for another six months or twelve months, but I I think the writing was on the wall. Uh, it's among other things. One of the things is location. Um, and like St. Louis is not where the person wants to live. So, yeah. Yep. Not much you can um, do to change that. Right. I mean, yeah, every time it, that happened, I mean, well, that hasn't happened much, but it's always like, should we be fully remote? But no, I, you know, I don't think so. Um, so between that and then I'm going to talk about an enterprise salesy thing, but I've still got this saga going on with this, this big company I've been talking about for months going very, very well still. I think it just takes a long time. So between this person leaving and this this company is going to pay us for custom development, probably our product roadmap is about to just get completely blown up here, I think. <laughs> it's just what happens. I feel like if you expect your product roadmap not to get blown up, you're probably going to get let down. Yeah. Well, and this is like one good thing and one like you don't want it to get blown up because someone leaves. Uh, I'm very fine with it being like, well, someone's going to pay us $50,000 to work on things that we were going to build anyway, but it was going to be a year from now instead of now. So I feel really good about 
the big enterprise deal changing the roadmap. But how's how's the team reacting to the roadmap changes? I think they're excited. Um, I mean, I think, again, it's all features that we want and feel. And in a lot of ways, if someone's willing to pay us $50,000 for these, I think there's a good chance we misprioritized them. Like, that's pretty good validation that maybe we should have built these anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I I don't think they're like, oh, man, I really wanted to work on this other thing. And now I don't get to. I don't think there's any of that. Cool. When you're when you're main, 20 employees and a, and an employee leaves, it's a big deal. When it's a five, four or five person team and a person leaves on that team, that's a bit even bigger deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially so, what was going to happen is we 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 were already preparing for this enterprise deal. Like we were basically going to take not like all but one developer and put it on that, and then one developer was going to go build our most important other thing, which was appointment scheduling. The person who was going to go build appointment scheduling is the one leaving. So. What basically what this looks like is all we're doing for the next six months is working on things for this one client, basically. That also benefits all of your users. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Good. That's I, I a key. Be, like, I mean, that's you important. may look at. Yeah, you may look at it like this is four times bigger than our neck than our current biggest client. The all of the features they're asking us to build are ones that were high on our list for ten. 10 or 20 user accounts. It's not like some obscure thing that only a big client would want. So yeah, what, what that clarifies for me is that really the plan for everyone that's still there is not changing much. Yeah, I think that's probably correct. Um, and then the only other thing we need to figure but out is... you're bummed about appointments. I'm scheduling. bummed. I mean, I'm sure everyone's going to be... Well, I'm, I'm more bummed about the person than the feature. Yeah, but yes, it, it does suck. We've been... I've been... How many years have I been talking about appointment scheduling? As, and long, fi- as long as this podcast has been around... I literally sent an email out to people earlier this year. I was like, she is starting on it like now. It is happening. I know I keep saying we're going to do it and then it doesn't happen. But like this time it's really happening. <laughs> and uh, now it's not happening again. So <laughs> uh, oh, well. is, it, is it that it's not happening or it's just delayed? It, it's delayed. It's still, yeah, definitely on the list. But th- there's a question, of course, like finding a replacement. Like anytime someone leaves, it's like, okay, immediately we have the money for a new employee I'm a little torn on, do we try to go out and find that person now, or do we wait a little bit? Um, for a variety of reasons, I'm tempted to wait. One of which is, I think, like, it is easier to evaluate people in person. Um, so I kind of think if we wait three or four months and can do an in-person interview, that increases our odds of hiring the right person. That's a, a delayed decision-making reason right there. Like, back to our earlier conversation, it's like, if you can make, if, if circumstances are going to change that allow you to make a much better quality decision mm-hmm. like that's a good reason to delay um and it sounds like yeah in-person evaluation is a huge boon Do, like yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense i think i'm gonna so um I, I was talking with a different person at the company yesterday about um like the language we were using is uh like serendipity with intent which is basically saying let's say we wait four months to to start searching for real we could probably still increase our odds of just the right person falling into our lap over those four. Like if you're having a conversation with a random person in the industry and you know, in the back of your head, Hey, by the way, I'm also going to be hiring this person. Maybe that person, maybe an opportunity comes up that you wouldn't have found otherwise. So I think we're probably going to do that. Like if an opportunity comes up, great. If not, we'll start the, the search in earnest later. Soft, soft list, the job. Yeah. Something like that. So cool. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I'll just go ahead and I'm sorry. The appointment scheduling thing. I, that's a, 
that's, I feel like that's a bigger deal than you're making it right now, just because you're focused on the person, um, which is more important. But if you, yeah, that's, <laughs> I feel bad. I, I, I was excited to hear about how that experiment was going to go from a growth hack standpoint. I hope, I hope there's a way to, I hope we, we get to talk about that more, uh, when, once you get done with this bigger project. Yeah. It, it sucks. Cause it, it's our biggest, if you imagine a future where a few years from now, less annoying CRM is on like a non plateauing trajectory. Like we've really just, we've got a marketing engine that just keeps up with churn forever. Basically the most credible story we've got is that appointment scheduling is the thing that did it, not like my blog or whatever, you know? Um, having said that, so it's, it's a bummer to delay that. Having said that, this big account, if we close them, it's big enough to make up for like two years worth of extra marketing wins. So net-net, it, it, it's better to do the enterprise deal than to do appointment scheduling right now, but it does suck to delay it. Um, so final thing for me. So speaking of this enterprise thing, I've heard many times before, maybe you've even been someone who's told me like enterprise sales is just project management. Is this like a phrase that you feel like you've used? Not me, but I, I agree with it. What does it mean to you? Cause I, I've heard it many times and now I think I know what it means, but I'm curious what it means to you. It's a never ending like to do list and a coordination effort. Yeah, so I that's kind of how I interpreted it. And then I think like this last couple of weeks, we had a more concrete version of it being project management. So I just I don't want to act like I'm some kind of sage business leader who's so good at enterprise sales. Like this would be our first one and it's taken us months longer than it should have. But basically what what, what kept happening is this company kept coming back to us and being like, oh, can you fill out this questionnaire uh, with like, how your security works or whatever. And anyone who's ever sold to an even somewhat big customer knows like they send you this, there's all these checkboxes and you say yes or no to different questions. And the questions are worded in a vague way where it's like, I don't even know what this is asking. It's just like security theater. Have you, have you filled these things out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So finally they sent us another one that was, I am not joking over a thousand questions. It was really, I mean, normally these are like 50, I feel like. <laughs> This was a thousand questions. <laughs> You're not exaggerating. I'm not. It was, it was, I think, I think it was 1,020 was, or something like that was the final number. What, what, like, what's the example of one of these questions? Well, so here's the thing. We would have, we would have pushed back if we had known it was a thousand questions, but it was a dynamic form. So there's like 30 questions and then you answer one and it's like, do you do this thing? And you're like, yes, like, do, do you have a, uh, you know, a data breach notification policy? And you say yes. And then like 20 more questions <laughs> pop out. And then you answer yes to one of those and like 20 more questions pop out. So it turned into like over a thousand. Um, so we did it because, again, we kind of got sucked in and it was like sunk cost. But at the end of it, we we're like, this has to stop. Like, we can't do another thousand question survey here. And that's when this enterprise sales is just project management thing really made sense to me. Okay, they want us. This customer wants us. They've put in dozens of hours on their end. Like they're not, they wouldn't do that if they didn't want to buy. This is not sales anymore. Sales is trying to get someone to buy. They want to buy. The problem is they're a big organization with multiple, like what's going on here is every different department, like the CFO would send us one questionnaire and the IT team would send us a different questionnaire. They don't, they don't know how to buy our product efficiently or probably any product efficiently. And now I understand that's what it means to say it's project management. 
They've already decided to buy, hopefully. They've hired us to help them manage the project of buying it in a way that satisfies all the stakeholders on their end. And what would a project manager do here? They wouldn't be like, give me the very next thing to do and we'll go do it. They would be like, give me all of the things that are going to happen in this process. We will agree that that's the scope of the project. And if the scope needs to change, we need to sit down and have a meeting and discuss what that means. Like, is it going to cost more? Do you, are you going to give me more budget for this project if it's going to take more work? Are we going to extend the timeline? Things like that. So right after that happened, I'm not the one who did this, but we reached out to them and were just like, okay, we need to roadmap this whole thing because we have no sense of what's going on. And basically said, if this scope keeps increasing, the cost is going to increase. As soon as we said that, they were like, oh shit, don't do any more for us. Stop. We'll get you a contract. <laughs> and we have a contract now. <laughs> so I wish we'd done that two months ago, but that was, you know, lesson learned. And that's, and that's, I mean, I, I, I like that concept a lot. Um, and I don't know if you were around at Zane Benefits when we did the Sandler sales training. I don't but think so. No, but he talks about this, like the the big image that comes to mind with Sandler is the Sandler submarine, um, and the the idea is at the beginning of any sales process, big small, you want to get before you start it, you want to agree on the scope of mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like the begin you want to be- agree on where the submarine starts, where the submarine ends, and how wide you know the submarine is, and then you want to like have a you know an agreement that you kind of can't, you know, while we're in one, you know, one section of the submarine, we can't, you know, go around the next section. We got to do the next section. It's like, hmm. it's, it's a, it's a, it's an exercise and sort of let's lay out the roadmap of how we're going to come to making this decision to move forward in a smaller sale or bringing this project to full fruition. And, uh, it's a great concept and it's, it's say it basically forces the customer to like, kind of a, a, agree to like the terms and conditions of how we're going to work together. Mm-hmm. And it, man, it, it removes all of that, like uh surprise, like surprise without consequence. Like, yeah, that, that's the key. If, if it costs them nothing to waste your time, why wouldn't they do it? Yeah. Yep. The consequences. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and the other this can be really valuable in another situation where even if you're maybe not getting to yes, but you're getting to no, if you upfront, uh, the term that Sandler uses is called upfront contracts. So basically what you just did was you created an upfront contract with them that was like, hey, like before we go forward, let's upfront agree that this is what we're going to be doing. And if let's, let's agree to that. And then if you break this verbal contract, let's agree that the contract's going to change. Yeah. And then my cost is more. Gonna yeah. Something's <laughs> going to change about it. Yeah. yeah. And when people agree to that, they, they generally like people, you know, that are in business generally keep their word. And so even in like a, a, a small business transaction, you might say, hey, before we get started with this, if you decide not to move forward, you know, can we agree right now that you'll tell me why? And that's just like mm-hmm. a, like a, that's an easy way. If you're having trouble getting like your customers that are saying no, to tell you why they're saying no is before you give them the pitch, get them to agree yeah. and tell you why they said no up front. And they all 99% of the time, because we'll they told yes. you they will, will do it. Yeah. That makes so much sense. This this goes back to a concept you and I have talked about so many times, which is just 
people worry so much about how they're coming off to other people or am I going to say the wrong thing or something like that. And it's all just about setting expectations. So like a, a different example of this is people think they need 24-7 support. And if you don't say to your customer what your support hours are, yeah, they're going to expect that. If you say to them, I'm an, a solo founder, I work during these hours, that's when you're going to get responses from me. 99 out of 100 customers will be like, oh, cool. It's awesome that I get to talk to the founder. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sounds like another version of that. If you're just clear and upfront with people about how it's going to work, they'll be reasonable. Totally. Awesome. So yeah, I feel like, again, I'm not the one doing the enterprise sales on our team, but I'm kind of like getting updates and stuff. And I, for me, this was a big learning that, and, and your, uh, sorry, Sandler sales. Is that what you called it? Sandler sales training. Um, who, who's doing the project? Uh, Alex. Alex. He would yeah. love Sandler. No, not because what is he this? would like is this a book. It's, it's, a, it's a sales training system. Um, but like you do it online. Do they, you can, there's come books on the it? system. There's courses like podcasts on the system. I mean, you can yeah. find it anywhere. Okay. He, 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 he'll laugh at the guy cause it's very cheesy, but right. he'll, he'll love the, 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 the models and the science. Like it's, it's, mm. it's actually very changed my approach to selling and made me much more, much more, it's just like thoughtful salesperson. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. My one, a different takeaway I have from all this. Cause again, I, I don't want to count my chickens or before they've hatched or whatever, but like it, we have a contract. I feel like pretty likely we're going to reach an agreement here. Once this is all over, I'm going to say, okay, we've done it once now. Can we like learn some theory now to, to like n- the next time we do this, we're not just kind of fumbling around in the dark. So that might be the right place to go for, uh, to help with that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you're, but you're going to back into it anyway. So yeah, it's just however you want to do it. Congrats on getting the contract. That's a milestone. Well, let's, uh, so we, we haven't agreed on it yet, right? Now we need to like go back and forth on it, but uh, I'm, I, I appreciate that. I'm going to hold off on accepting congrats <laughs> until it's like really the ink is dry, you know? <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a smart thing to do with enterprise sales. <laughs> well, I already, you know, six months ago was like, I think we're going to get it. And I was kind of celebrating then. So I, I learned my lesson there. Um, cool. The only other thing on the list I, I think is, so uh, Zapier acquired MakerPad was was in the news and we talk a lot about the no-code ecosystem. Zapier, of course, is the main way to connect different tools together. MakerPad is, would you describe it? It's basically like a message board and kind of content site for no-code, no-coders who want to learn how to do no-code. Yeah, I'd describe it as a community for no-coders, a content site focused on building a community for a paid community for no-coders. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thoughts on, do you care at all? <laughs> that well, yeah, I mean, I think I th- this kind of, we, we were fantasizing about what it would be like to buy a business and ultimate like in the content or community space and yeah. figure out how to monetize that with an existing business. And I think this is another example of that happening. I think HubSpot acquired the hustle. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when Indie Hackers was acquired by Stripe, but it was a similar concept. Similar thing, yeah. Um, what's interesting about uh, MakerPad is that I believe it is a paid community. It'll be interesting to see if, if maybe that was like, why did this happen? Um, I think we all know that like these contents, like one thing we've observed is that these content and community sites, the, the, the founder gets burnt out. And mm. uh, Ben, I don't know him personally. I've exchanged a couple of messages with him, but like I was an early supporter of MakerPad. Um, the guy was running hard. Uh, and I feel like this is, these matches work out really well when the founder's working really hard and maybe like is hitting, hitting that ceiling of what they can do with like a paid community and then 
you know, someone like Zapier comes in and says, listen, we, we want this to be like indie hackers. Like we want this to be free and we want it, we want it, you to get it as far reach as possible. I'm wondering if maybe that's not the, uh, that's not the play here is that Zapier is saying like, instead of going, you know, lower numbers, you know, bigger right. revenue per user, let's go zero revenue per user and wide. Well, yeah. So, and to call back to when we've talked about this before, the argument being these content sites are great at distribution. They're great at getting people eyeballs on the site their monetization is terrible like you can show ads that sucks you can do membership but like you said that's going to cut down on the number of people seeing it which cuts down on virality cuts down on seo because you have to you know uh, paywall things so the the power of saying a SaaS comes along and says we can monetize this for you and then you can go run the content yeah that totally so you think they'll probably go free with it i it feels very similar to indie hackers like this is just a more niche uh this is a no code hacker site um, so with indie hackers, I have not seen. It says in the very footer, like owned by Stripe or something. But there's very little indication that Stripe has anything to do with it. I think the assumption is just the more new businesses that get started, like everyone's going to use Stripe and not even think about it. Do you feel like that works here? Like you can't really know code without Zapier, so they don't even. Or, or do you see them? I, I guess I'm because I've thought about doing this myself. As we talked about, like what if I acquired a content thing? How do you actually monetize it? I mean, it's brand. I feel like it's brand uh, experience. I I think it's man. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. It's a tofu website that you're going to kind of hopefully hand off a mofu. It's not very dissimilar from less annoying business. Yeah, but indie hackers doesn't do that, right? Like they. I mean, it comes up organically. All the threads are how do you pay, how do you do billing? Of course, it's going to be Stripe, but it's not. It's not deliberate. It's not an intentional thing. Yeah, it's interesting to think like why what was. Stripe's hypothesis behind indie hackers when they bought indie hackers did have you do you know anything about that? Okay, I don't know anything specific, but I know like the way Stripe describes their whole business model is they want to increase the GDP of the internet and they want to take their three percent basically. So I would imagine the way they would justify it is they say indie hackers increases the GDP of the internet and that's all they need. They don't need any other connection to Stripe. Yeah, and in this particular case, I think that's a great like. That's very much what's happening here. Zapier is taking their X percent of the no code space. Um, we MakerPad has massively increased the GDP of the no code space, mm-hmm. um, and we need that. You know, if Zapier is saying we want them to do that, more of that, that's so making it free and getting it to ten times as many people is probably all Zapier really needs because Zapier need is the, that default choice. Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, anything else on your mind, or should we call it? I don't think so. I, I, uh, I, baby could come any day. So, um, yeah, it could be a while before we're doing updates. I think we'll probably get one more in. That's okay. my gut. Cool. Well, maybe see you next week. Maybe not, but we've got two episodes lined up for whenever you're out. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, we'll have a good rest of the rest of the week or your stay treat or no yeah. stay vacation, staycation, staycation. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.